back to the HR Grapevine podcast. This is a special edition of the podcast and part of a series we are bringing to you in partnership with Actual Experience. Actual Experience works with people leaders to help build a digital workplace that works for everyone, everywhere, all of the time. Through always-on analytics and consulting, Actual Experience helps to create a level playing field in the workplace. While hybrid working comes with new challenges, it's also a chance to improve employee well-being whilst driving the organisation's bottom line. And in each episode of this four-part series, we will invite a new guest, a thought leader from the HR industry, to discuss the unique opportunities currently facing people leaders at the moment. My name is Sophie Parrott editor of My Grapevine, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by Dave Page, Chief Executive Officer at Actual Experience, and Andrew Bibby, Chief Executive Officer at 87%. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. It's particularly a pleasure to have yourself, Andrew, on as you are new to the podcast this week. So before we get started, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and also what your role entails? Uh, Yes, of course. I'm a technologist by training, but we work in the mental health space. So I say that because I'm, I'm, I don't have a clinical background. 87% was founded in 2017, and we focus on mental well-being, and we have a particular sort of data-driven approach to that, and, and that's why uh, we are great friends with Actual Experience and, and very happy to work with them. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as, as the conversation comes out. Well, thanks for the introduction there, Andrew. It's great to have you on the podcast today alongside Dave, who, of course, joined us in the first week's episode of the podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be taking a look into the reason behind the power balance shift, including the so-called great resignation, of course, caused by the aftershocks of the pandemic, and also this broader move to hybrid or remote working that means it could be easier for staff to jump ships as they are no longer uh, tied to a specific location. With it also potentially being easier for employees to move on, this means that looking after the people in in businesses is absolutely vital to attracting and retaining top talent, but also to ensure that the work produced is, is productive. And with well-being, of course, being another key component of this, we'll also be asking the question of how employers can identify and solve well-being issues with a hybrid or remote workforce. But to kind of kick it off, and I think actually this will be quite a nice segue into today's discussion, I just wanted to find out from both of you what approach you are taking within your organisations. You know, are you working remotely, going back to the office or embracing more of a hybrid model? Yes, so we are currently working remotely. We get the team together once a month in a physical location in generally London, that's where we're from, but we're moving to a fully hybrid model in the new year. And that's actually at the demand of or request of the employees, actually, of our staff, because they they like that physical contact, the communication, etc. So they're driving us towards a hybrid model. That is their preferred model. We're a smaller organization. We're about uh, 20, 25 people, something like that. But yeah, we're, we're moving fully hybrid in uh, in the new year. And what about for yourself, Dave? Uh, yeah, similar. Although we're we're already in the hybrid mode. We we have a about eighty people in the company. We have a, we have an office uh, in Bath, and we have people working from home 
periodically coming into the office, some a lot more than others, because that's how they prefer it. But that's that's exactly what hybrid is, is a mixture of people in the office and people at home interworking with each other. So that's a fairly permanent situation now, and it's sort of flexing day by day as to the number that are actually in the office and, and at home. Um, and when we have bigger days in the office, when you know, some of the bigger teams come in and they have a team day uh, in one of the wings in the office, um, and we may sort of cross-fertilise with other, other people in other departments and so on. So we tend to have days like that um, where there's a lot more people in, um, but, but generally it's a sort of a flexing hybrid model that we're, we're running at the moment. And I suppose actually what both of you have kind of alluded to there is, you know, you get the best of both worlds, really. You get the opportunity to have that flexibility, but then also the in-office collaboration um, as and when you want that. And actually, I think we've all noticed that what we've just been discussing then kind of aligns with what we're seeing in the wider world of work. So, for example, earlier this year, the BBC polled 50 of the UK's biggest employers and around about 43 of them said that they would embrace a mix of office and home working. More recently, and as the years progressed, we've seen more and more companies moving to a hybrid mode of work. So Premier Foods, Deloitte and Asda are just some examples of those who have got different parts of their business able to flex between working from home and the office. So there's definitely been a particularly a big shift from what we were seeing before the pandemic. Um, and it does also seem to be that this shift is reflecting changes, I suppose, in, in what staff are looking for within their organisation. Some separate data from Ezra found that three quarters of UK office staff said that they didn't want to return to the office full time following the pandemic, which I suppose is something that a lot of employers are unable to ignore. And actually, flexibility has become so important to staff that actually more than half of employees globally said that they would quit their jobs if not given post-pandemic flexibility. And that's according to EY's 2021 Work Reimagined Employee Survey. I think there's definitely a follow-on question here about how hybrid working has changed the balance of power between the employer and the employee. So one of the things we, we also see differences in hybrid working. We know that some have gone to an unstructured hybrid working and this is the most preferable and it's the structure that we're going to. Others have gone to a more sort of structured hybrid and what I mean by that is they're allocating specific days for specific people to be in the office and then at home and that makes sense if you've got smaller workspace or you're really trying to flex that but it's not always necessarily the, the best for the individuals. I think the the differences in hybrid working also needs to be to be looked at um, because people really do want flexibility and they are prepared to sort of vote with their feet um, in order to get the sort of balance that they they have come to enjoy within the pandemic. We certainly see that people who had a little bit more time, uh, maybe taking out the commute, have then said, okay, well, this is actually a lifestyle that suits me and also I feel more productive. So we certainly see it's better for the individual, but we're also seeing it's better for the organization. Happier employees are more productive employees. And it's sort of that point about them voting with their feet that is moving the, the power base back towards the employee and particularly with such a strong job market at the moment, and they're, they're finding that. I, I think, Dave, you've, you've got some similar thoughts, right? 
Yeah, no, I was just thinking, as you were saying that, I think, that, yeah, I was reflecting on some of the data that we can see from, you know, like like your organisation, we tend to work with very large enterprises, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of employees. And so we've got some pretty good data now about exactly where people are, in fact, working uh, across the world in a, in a data set, which I think now represents about 100 countries. And, and if you sort of look at the average across those 100 countries in terms of voting, you know, voting with a feet, you've got... Um, globally, you've got 20% of people are permanently working in the office. You've got 50% of people permanently working at home. Um, and you've got 30% of people who are, as, as you were saying, Andy, they're moving backwards and forwards, you know, between between home and office. So you've got you've got 80% of people who are in home or moving backwards and forwards between the, the home and the office. And that 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 number, that 80% tends to be fairly, that isn't budging much over, you know, month by month um, at the moment. So in terms of voting with a feed, people around the entire planet have, have sort of voted very similarly, I think, to the same thing, which is, as you were saying, Andy, is mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of benefits to people and family um, as, as well as uh, to people and business for, you know, offering that sort of flexibility. And it's, it's certainly there in the data right now. I think another thing that we've definitely seen throughout the pandemic is the importance of well-being as we're moving to more hybrid working structures. You know, that still continues to be a priority for HR as the function kind of figures out how best to approach well-being with, you know, dispersed workforces and, and when people are kind of spending some time in the office. And throughout the pandemic, we've seen data out there which has pointed towards mental well-being as a growing issue. So, for example, data from Close Brothers found that more than 51% of employees have experienced an increase in worries relating to their mental health due to the pandemic. But there's also data there saying that they're looking for more employer-led support when it comes to mental health. So where do you think HR practitioners should be focusing on in the next six months? And what has your data shown around this? So we're an organisation that works with companies to understand what their data is, how it reflects their culture, their ways of working, their market, because actually what we see is companies are very different. So there are there are some wider stats out there, and, and of course, we see those. But actually, what, what we're really um, helping our clients understand is really understanding your workforce. That's where I think that HR can focus now. Specifically, we look at mental well-being. We take a very scientific approach, and we're able to help organizations build well-being strategies that address their own needs because two individual organizations within the same marketplace will have very different cultures, they will have very different needs. So we expose the data to the organization, really help them figure out, okay, how should I best be thinking about my workforce? What kinds of things should I be doing? Dave, you and I were, were, were talking earlier, we know that a lot of the processes and procedures were created in an environment where it was primarily office work and where actually humans were not necessarily at the top of the consideration list. And so we're we're exposing that and then we're really encouraging organizations to take a look at not just the kind of support that they might offer, because that is important, but what you've got to do is really understand, okay, what are the opportunities for us to re-engineer the organization, to make it more people-focused, to give a better 
experience um, and at the same time improve the mental well-being of their employees. That means really about uh, making sure that they're happier. Uh, who, who doesn't want to be happier? And also we know that happier people are more productive, so everybody wins, and, and that's really where we're encouraging uh, our, our human resource directors to go is, is very specifically understand your organization. It's not a one-size-fits-all. I was actually thinking, Andy, of a Wall Street Journal article I was reading a few days ago, which is saying that the resignations in order to move to another job, they're currently 60% higher than the same period last year at the moment, which sort of tends to, tends to align with, with what you're talking about, in that there's this sort of heightened sensitivity now around what the working practices and how they've changed, the impact they're having on you know me as a person or employees individually, and, and also reflecting on... I guess, to some extent, on how well those businesses are actually doing to tackle some of the challenges out there. So that, that was, I, I just thought it was quite an interesting number coming off quite a big survey in the Wall Street Journal. Actually, that if that's the sort of the challenge, then the opportunity really comes out of data, doesn't it? Because I mean, part of what's happened over the last couple of years is is the, you know, the, the way we work has become profoundly more digital. Um, and, and, you know, whereas a couple of years ago, we were working with organizations and the working assumption there by most organizations, well, it's 25 to 30% of our time is spent interacting with each other or working digitally. Um, well, that, those assumptions are now shifted to somewhere between 60 and 90%, depending on the organization and how they, how they do their business. So that's a sort of two, three X increase in the impact that the digital workplace has in, on work overall and hence on, on the employees. that I think that is where the opportunity sits because the digital world is rich in data. It's a natural source of data for actually all employees. It can be very complete because the digital workplace is used by many and, and, and maybe gives an opportunity for HR, which I, I think they are absolutely at the centre of this um, in terms of new ways of working. <laughs> Um, that access to data now is a is a new source of data. It complements the survey-based data they've been doing you know, very well for years, but actually this is a very rich new source of data, which will help them tackle some of the challenges that are really fine-grained, aren't they, Andy? I mean, you, we've gone yeah. from, as you were saying, a shared office experience, where arguably we've had a common experience because we're in the same office as each other, uh, moving to a very sort of unique bespoke experience based on to what extent you work at home where you work at home what office you go to when you when you do go there that's a very different unique potentially experience and and for for hr now in order to really work out what's going on there they, they have to tap in i probably haven't got any alternative other than to tap into the the, uh, the digital workplace itself and not in any big brother kind of way i'm not suggesting that but tap into the, the data that's now available in, in the digital workplace to get an insight as into, you know, where people might be struggling and then start to have the right kind of conversations with those individuals. Yeah, and what we're doing now a lot is we're connecting that data up. It's aggregated, protects the, the privacy of the individual, but we, we take that data and we directly connect it into um, the key performance indicators of the organisation. So right. you can actually, you have the levers then. It's about really uh, giving HR that data that shows the effect of the work that they're doing on the, on the productivity of the organization. And I think that's really important. If you take that data in isolation, 
it's interesting, it's useful, you can you can do stuff with it. However, if you connect it up to your KPIs and you look at that on a, a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, then you're really um, understanding how these these various aspects of, of your business are working, particularly when we're in an environment where there's so much change going on. Uh, you've got to really take that into consideration. So it's another sort of recommendation is make sure that you join that data up into what's the important drivers of your own business. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much, both Dave and Andy, for joining me on today's special episode of the podcast. If you want to find out more about any of the topics that we discuss in this podcast, then we will leave a link to Actual Experience's full report below. If you're interested to hear more from myself and Actual Experience, then please join us again in around a few weeks' time where we will continue discussions around the future of work and what it means for you working in HR. But unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. HR Grapevine wouldn't exist without your continued readership and engagement with our content. So to find out more or to sign up to our daily content newsletter, which showcases solutions and best practice answers to all of your HR issues, please visit HR Grapevine.